this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. Welcome back to another episode on Anderson's TV and today my very special guest is Josh Middleton. Uh, you may know Josh from uh, Architects or maybe in a previous band, Silosis. Uh, but yeah, we're just here to chat about life, the universe and everything. <laughs> cool. Um, so thanks for coming up. Thanks for having uh, me. You're, you don't live a million miles away from here, do you? Reading, yeah. Hour and... Hour normally. An hour. Traffic, yeah. Reading. The heart I of, actually used uh, to go to uh, ACM as well. Oh, did you? So, yeah. what, what year was that? Was the year I met my wife. 2004, maybe. Oh, so you go, yeah. were, they, were they in the <laughs> Robber building then? The, or was that in the old oh, building? Oh, uh, I don't even know. I, it was above a pub. Yeah, so it's it. That's yeah. cool. All right, that's okay. cool. So who and well, which you know, we'll come on to okay. influences yeah. and stuff. So I'm sure lots of people that watch this have studied sure. at ACM too. Um, Tell us a little bit about, so Architects are a um, fairly sort of progressive metal band, um, but tell us about, let's go back to, you know, Little Nipper, Josh, sure. okay, and yeah. uh, how, what it, what, you know, how you got into guitar and, and sure. you know, what inspired you to, to play. Um, I guess my dad is a huge fan of music, so just car journeys, summer holidays, lots of music, so Beach Boys, Crowded House, Beatles, stuff that I still think of as like really good songwriting and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and so yeah, I got obsessed with music early on and yeah, I think I started playing guitar when I was like eight or nine. And I, yeah, around then I started playing guitar, like learned to play to The Bends by Radiohead, which was big at the time. Uh, Oasis, first Foo Fighters album. Uh, like some Nirvana, obviously, Rage Against the Machine, and, and then moved on to Metallica and stuff. But um, I can't remember the exact reason I wanted to play guitar. Oh, I think my dad had one, like a really old, just really cheap one that he bought when he was a kid, and he never played. He's not a musician. He can't even clap in time, really. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a better <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Um, my mum's actually quite musical. She plays the piano. Cool. We had a piano in the house, so I used to like mess around with that. So uh, between those two things, I was just... Just got obsessed with music early on. Was it was it an acoustic guitar or an electric yeah, guitar? Yeah, no, an acoustic one, and it had like flat wound strings on it. Wow! And it jazz I mean, Metallica. Yeah, it, it was terrible. I think I went for my first guitar lesson, and then the teacher was like, "You should get a proper guitar." So I got an old Epiphone acoustic, um, one of those classic things where I get him an acoustic first. If he doesn't stick with it, you haven't spent all the money yeah. on electric. Yeah. And then after a year, I got uh, like a, sw- a Squire and a combo. A Park G10. There's and, uh, nothing wrong with that. No, yeah, that, that did me for years. So, yeah, that was still in primary school, yeah, like eight or nine. Wow. And was obsessed. it was it instant? You know, were you like, get up in the morning, try and get 10 minutes on whilst your mum and dad are going, go and have your breakfast, Maybe, Joshua. yeah. I mean, definitely in the my early years, even till I was about like 14, most of what I was playing was like songs and chords mm-hmm. and stuff. Even though I was into Rage Against the Machine and stuff. And Tom Morello has like crazy leads and yeah. I like Metallica. The focus early on was 
especially like having lessons was you know chords and playing songs um yeah. i feel like a lot of players in this day and age like especially like in the metal sort of side of things kids will pick up a guitar and they'll be like trying to play along to their favorite yeah. bands but you like can you play a song and they're like they don't know g and a minor and that stuff so uh, i felt like that was really important like get focused on songwriting and songs first so where, where um, in your teens were you, was it, was it, were you getting into sort of, you know, bands with all your mates or were you relatively, you know, just playing on your own? And when did that interest in maybe a more contemporary, you know, style of, of guitar playing come in? I guess, yeah. I mean, as soon as I started secondary school and obviously a lot more people, I went to a very small primary school. Um, the yeah, I met a drummer in the first like the first day, and he actually lived down my road. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, I just started going around his house, and he was actually the first solosis drummer. Oh, cool. So uh, and that started pretty much when we were like thirteen. So uh, very early on. Um, yeah, no. As soon as I was in secondary school, I just got I started buying Kerrang, and it was just whatever was in there. So at the time, like, and was yeah, that was that a Meta- was Metallica that. Were yeah, they the first yeah, real kind of metal band? And... Yeah, them and Pantera were like... Right. But then I always liked stuff like Smashing Pumpkins or Deftones and yeah. uh, or Slipknot as well. I wasn't like too like elitist or anything with my metal at that point. <laughs> <laughs> elitist metal. There's yeah, a new genre yeah. for the elitist metal. I don't know what it would be, but it yeah. sounds good. Um, I love, I always love stories of, you know, when you, you know, you're, friend from school at 13 years old and then going on to form bands with them and I, I just think it's such a you know it's such a brilliant brilliant way to kind of um you know go on a journey with it with a really good friend yeah but so what so that um how old were you when the the the, the sort of the the basic you know silosis kind of guys got together about yeah 14 15 but did you all ACM it, or were you the only? No, one no, it was just or... me. I mean, by the time we were at ACM, it was it was just me that was from that original lineup. Right. So, Silosis went through a lot of member changes. Right. Okay. Day. Especially, I mean, we've been through some since, like you know, releasing music properly. But um, even before that, there was a lot. I, I I think like when you're how many members? Go on. How many members had there been? I'd say about ten or something. Oh, don't know man. why I had to look at my hands. To I'm, I'm, I'm trying I, to maybe, think of like what, what's know. the what's the comparison? What's the sort of the cliche band that have had like a million different members? But whoever. Yeah, I mean, there was a time when we had two singers, and yeah, you know, I I didn't start off singing. I only took over singing in Solosis when we had already released our first album in like 2010. I took over doing that. So before I was always just a guitarist. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. A lot of ex-members, but it's when when you're young and like this is the internet. Yeah, it was around, but it wasn't quite what it is today. So it was really hard to find members mm-hmm. that people in in your town that liked heavy music and could play. Mm-hmm. And like I was super focused on my playing and trying to get really good at guitar. And if other members weren't like as you just obsessed, it was, <laughs> you're gone. Cut them out of the picture. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But I'm <laughs> friends with a lot of those original guys still. So. Hopefully. So how? So talk me through the sort of. Um, you obviously 
must have had an idea that that you know guitar was going to be a, a career path for you. I, I guess most people who go to study at ACM will have that. Yeah. Um, have that kind of idea. Were your parents supportive of, of that, or was it like oh, train to be a doctor or something sensible? No, my parents are pretty supportive. Like my mum uh, is an art teacher, retired, and my dad taught English and he loves music. So I think between both, both of them, people, and, yeah, they're both yeah. like very supportive. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. So so how soon was it after uh, ACM that that you were able to um, go full? professional with that and, and and what did you what did you do in the meantime to make ends I mean, meet yeah I it was years and years I mean never really made enough money to live off it I just did it just because it was sort of like the only option for me it's like I want to do it if I have to do other stuff on the side yeah that's fine I'm not doing it to you know make loads of money um which was fine I, I don't mind that but um yeah I I mean I live with my parents at home a lot which helped yeah but um, I got into doing like artwork for bands, recording bands. I got really into production. Worked at Guitar Shop for a bit. Worked at HMV for a bit. That's all I think. Which Guitar yeah. Shop was it? Do I know them? No, you might. Well, you might. It's a, it was a shop in Reading, and it only opened for like three years. I think. And it was it X. No, what was it called? No, uh, a guy called Nigel ran it. I think guitar I, works. Guitar works. That's it. I yeah, do remember okay. just on the outskirts of Reading, weren't they? Yeah. I think yes. yes, I do remember. Okay. And they, you're right, they weren't there for very long, were they? No. Anyway, anyway, just wondered, seeing yeah. who it was, just seeing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing like a semi-interview here just to see if it all goes wrong with architects for you, like that, you know, whether or not I've just got your CV on. Right, okay, yeah, yeah I've worked <laughs> in the guitar shop. So I didn't realise. So, 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 um, did you ever go uh, full pro with psilosis? As in, you know, in terms of being able to live off it? Mm. No, no. Um, but you know, we played quite technical, progressive, flash. Yeah. But I mean, the, the band is not over. I'll just state that. Now. Oh, okay. It, yeah, uh, there probably will be in another album, hopefully this year, if I can make that happen. But um, yeah, no, it, it's it's you know a tricky industry to make money in especially when you're playing that sort of music and there's nothing no complaints it's not like oh people don't buy music or anything it's just the way it is you're just realistic but um yeah it, it's uh I'm now lucky enough that I can pay my bills from music and being an architect as well that's cool so, yeah. so how did that um you you mentioned before we started rolling that you'd been friends with the architects guys for a yeah. while or for a lot you know so where where did that relationship start i mean not long after leaving acm i think we played shows together back in 2004 2005 mm -hmm. so and when we were, they were starting out yeah exactly well, yeah. And we were both young bands both i think quite technically competent um stylistically a bit different i mean we, we sounded different then and so did they and yeah, we just became friends. I remember the first few times meeting them, especially Tom and Dan, um, just getting on with them and just quoting The Office nonstop. Which is, <laughs> it's 
just yeah and just realizing these guys are on my wavelength this is cool so we stayed friends and they'd come like stay at my parents house when they recorded their second album in reading and uh over the years just uh yeah always you know pretty close and then in 2012 their other guitarist tim left and they asked me to fill in so i did like some summer festivals with them they actually asked me to join back then and i was just like oh i, I can't i'm I've put so much time and effort into Silosis, but I was always just like being pulled into it. It's like, well, these guys are like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was it was tricky. And then the following year, I did some filling in again. And whilst I wasn't filling in, in between that, Adam, who is now the other guitarist, was filling in as well. Right. So it's me and him had both filled in before we were actual members. And then, um, yeah, just over the years, uh, you know, became even closer. And then when Tom passed away they just had all these touring commitments and they wanted to do you know the album that they'd put so much time and effort into wanted to do that justice and tour it mm. so they were like can you do this tour and I was just like yep sure and yeah. it just sort of it, it, it wasn't really spoken about too early on like if I was gonna sort of join full time but I think we kind of just felt yeah. you know that's where it was heading And it yeah. must be I mean I I've read that that um, uh, Tom kept his illness uh, pretty, you know, private. Um, so I don't know, you know, when yeah. uh, towards the latter stages, uh, was it, you know, had you been aware or was it all? Yeah, yeah, um, and maybe not like to the full extent, mm. um, but uh, yeah, it was something that I was aware of. Mm. Yeah, and and then. I mean, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't imagine, uh, you know, it, you have a very, you know, when you've got a, a twin brother is obviously, you know, a very special kind of relationship. And, and I imagine Dan must have had to do some deep soul searching about what to do, you know, Continuing with the, the band. band. Sure, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, how did those, what were those sort of dynamics like when you, you know, did it always feel like, no, look, this is what, Tom would have wanted and we should carry on or I think so yeah it was never something that I think especially on my part I didn't it didn't feel very uh, uh, respectful to like go so what what's going on are we going to mm. uh, continue but I, I think that was yeah sort of the 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 feeling that yeah it, it was going to go on and just you just sort of have I mean the, the main thing was seeing how writing went mm-hmm. so me and Dan writing or like how um, my writing would work would it still feel like Architects is it going to be good enough to carry on because uh, I think you know Tom set the bar really high so um, that was sort of the main thing it was like when we start writing together it's like that's going to sort of mm. we'll see then like what the future of the band looks like and and ha- does it do you does it feel now um, like does it feel like the band have taken a slightly different direction since you've started co-writing or does it has it felt like a more seamless uh, transition um, I'd kind of leave it to, to Dan to right. sort of because it, it sort of goes through his funnel yeah and uh, obviously he's been in, he started the band so um, I, the stuff that I'll write I'll, especially on Holy Hell it's just sort of trying to sound like architects mm-hmm. so if I ever see a comment I was like oh this song sounds like I don't think anything sounds like a, a rip-off or anything before, but oh, it just sounds like 
yeah. architects. I'm sort of like, cool, that's yeah. tried. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, the, I didn't that's want to like objective. try and uh, yeah, change anything from my uh, side of things. So uh, yeah, it's, um, I think they, they always were changing their sound anyway. They mm. did like two albums that were more cohesive in terms of their progression. And then I think with Tom writing, they would have gone somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I think inevitably the band's sound will progress and change anyway. Yeah. yeah. When you um, when you first start, I mean, because obviously architects, you know, playing some reasonable sized venues and some big festivals and all that kind of stuff. Was that, uh, had you ever experienced anything quite like that with Silosis or was it, was it like a, wow, all of a sudden this 30,000 people uh, at a festival. Yeah, and... no, we, so I, we uh, did some big shows and uh, like festivals, we always got to play like to big crowds. And I'd actually played Wembley about three years ago supporting Megadeth and Lamb yeah. of God. And then we just headlined Wembley. I was like, oh, I've been here, I've seen what that looks like. This is cool. But headline it is definitely that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. So, yeah. I hadn't realized. We've got. Um, Speaking of Megadeth, we, uh, Marty Friedman's doing an interview oh, wow. here in about cool. a month's time, I think. So it's just like, going to be slightly crazy. He's one of the pioneers of all that kind of sure, yeah. metal stuff. But, um, well, that's cool. So let, let's, let's, so we're kind of, let, let's get ourselves up to date with architects and then sure. we'll do a proper <coughs> nerdy gear yeah. thing. Okay. <coughs> so what, what is, um, Holy Hell's the latest album. Yeah. Um, how's sort of touring that or are you already thinking about writing the next one or where, where, where are you going this year? I mean, that? my, I know, Dan's the same. I think if there's, I mean, I, we both enjoy creating and writing music and I think I've, I've always been like this. I just always want to make sure I'm making the best music possible, which takes time. So just constantly writing, always. Um, but that being said, the album has only just come out. So mm. there's a lot of touring left to do. So, we just did five weeks in the UK and Europe, and then a few months off, I'll have a baby. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Dan's just had one uh, back in August, and America, and then festivals, and there's a lot of touring. But, is yeah. is uh, Architects kind of as big in the States as they are over here, or does it feel like that's a market I that feel you like need to, to sort of... It's, it's catching up, definitely, yeah. It, it's probably like the last place to even out because right. Europe and, and everywhere else it, it's been amazing but um, and, and the last few I'm very lucky that I get to just step into the band because it's just going like that Yeah. Um, and I think on the last few tours like it's been great in America as well so um, yeah what are, what are you looking forward to most this year is there a particular festival or a lineup where you're going to get to play with someone and think oh, I can't wait to meet such and such yeah I don't know if that band's been announced yet though. oh okay so uh, but festival season is always the most fun. <laughs> so um, there is, there is, there is. Uh, okay. So we're, what a bummer! I was hoping you'd kind of be able to like so give I, us like a bucket list of I players mean, that you'd love or bands that you'd love to I'm, sort of be on a bill with. Yeah, I'm sort of really bad at like just checking like lineups and what's been announced. But I'd heard that there's a band that I really like, maybe headlining one of the festivals. Um, and they we're we just going to leave it hanging, are we? They, on that they take forever to write, <coughs> to write new albums. <clears throat> so. Um, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, well, but anyway. so 2019, exciting stuff though. Yeah. What's the, yeah. What's the biggest festival you book for this year? Yeah, I, I don't pay enough attention. <laughs> uh, probably like Rock and Ring, Rock and Park, rocking like one of those German ones, maybe. Wow. I think. What do you, yeah. What kind of what kind of size crowd would you get at something like that? 
I couldn't tell you thousands. <laughs> Great. Well, this last two minutes of the interview. I wear, sorry. <laughs> I wear glasses, so I just see the front row. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> so. <laughs> Come on, let's nerdy gear out. So the last product that we talked about, I think, was your Squire Strat and your Park Amplifier. And obviously things have come a long way since then. Um, You've been pretty loyal to ESP for, for, what, 10 years or more, I think. Um, Sort of, yeah. uh, They were the first company that I was endorsed by in 2008. Yeah. Uh, With them for a good few years then. I only ever dealt with the guys in the UK. Kelly? Yes. Yeah. Good old Kelly. stopped playing for a little while. And then I realised that I was missing them a lot. So what was your um, first... Because you, So prior to being endorsed by them, you obviously bought them. So what, yeah, what was no, your, first, your first ESP guitar? Uh, it was an MH301. Yes. I actually had like my science folder at school. I used to print off pictures of off the ESP, even just LTDs, off the website and stick them and then laminate them on my... Uh, science folder so it was similar to this yeah. it was see-through black had a Floyd Rose same shape which is kind of cool I haven't really thought about that yeah it's like not too far off the first full one circle got. yeah and then I, I had loads after that MH250NT there are loads always I, I bought loads. predominantly MH so MH if you're not is like the super strat with the arch top kind yes. of vibe to it so um, always that or have you done some of the eclipses yeah, I, I had, or? Um, yeah eclipses I had an EC1000 I had an M1 at one point um, I had when I actually got endorsed I can't remember what the first guitar I got was a M2 mm-hmm. um, which I just acquired back recently like a maple neck reverse headstock isn't that like the that's a, like the um Kirk Hammett kind of vibe, yeah, isn't it? Much, too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So um, that I think, if I if I'm lucky enough to get another custom shop, <laughs> um, I might go for an M2 next time. Right. Just mix it up a bit. So, so what was it about? I mean, presumably you, even if you didn't own them, you worked in a guitar shop, so you must have yeah. tried Ibanez's and Jackson's and yeah. lots of other alternatives to ESP. What was it about? ESP that you just continue in the headstock. It's like the headstock, do you? <laughs> um, I no, I really did. I remember I had this video uh, VHS called "Drilling the Vein," which is a Roadrunner Records compilation. And it, had, right. <laughs> it had a Fear Factory video on there and a song called "Replica." And their guitarist had an ESP custom shop, and I was just like, I hadn't seen any before then, and I was just like, that's the coolest headstock I've ever seen, and I just became obsessed with them. And honestly, uh, I went for looks. First, and then it just so happens that they play really well as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I just like things to look right. So your latest incarnation on this custom uh, MH style guitar, you've gone with uh, Fluence pickups in there and yep. Evertune. Yes. So all um, reasonably sort of modern stuff. What, what was it about yeah. those two things that well, the, appealed? The Fishman's I got recommended um to check them out and 
I'd been playing active pickups before and I, I was blown away. Like they genuinely, I felt enough of a difference. Mm-hmm. Between I'm, like an old EMG 8185 yeah, yeah, type I just, set. And plus I had also been experimenting with passive pickups mm-hmm. and don't actually have it set up right for it now. But cool thing about the Fishman's is you can have active voicing and then toggle switch and you've got a passive sound. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge thing for me. Like you can get different... Um, Obviously, active, passive, or split coil, that kind of thing. So the the range of sounds I can get with them is like what really made me go right. I'm definitely sticking with these guys. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a modern, which you can then coil t- split, uh, not coil tap. You can. It's like a separate voice, isn't it? Like yeah, a change the voice. Thing, sorry, to yeah. uh, more like a standard sort of passive, and mm-hmm. then that is a classic, oh, okay. which is like a PAF or maybe something like a. JB or something I can't remember yeah. uh, not, not a JB because that's in the neck but anyway yeah so yeah and the Evertune I hadn't ever tried before getting this guitar right. so I was a bit worried because I wasn't sure like how it would feel in terms of like just my palm or like if I'd get on with it and now I think it's essential to architects especially just because of the tuning we play in the low string we play in it's C sharp standard and the low string is a G sharp so that'll be an octave. So that on a, on a traditional scale length guitar, so this is what, 25 20, and a half yeah. in, in inch scale length. Yeah. If you're going to tune, and what does that look like? A sort of a gauge 70 or something crazy? Yeah, it might be that, or a 72. 70, yeah, 72. Yes. Real thick string. Yeah. But presumably tuned that low, you've got that, um, you've got that problem of each, and the initial note will sort of dive in yeah. pitch and then come back. Yeah, I mean, um, there, there's a few tunings we use. So this is, the, the the rest of the strings usually stay the same, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Then there's another tuning that goes down to F sharp. So the low strings are in unison, but an octave apart. What's the bass player yeah. tuning to? Yeah, he follows same. that. Yeah, he's, he's got like a, a fan fret and that. <laughs> I bet he He can just like... about uh, <laughs> uh, maintain uh, some sort of note. But um, yeah, so it, like you say, it means I can set it, you can set each string to sort of, you can set them to have vibrato or no vibrato. So I can still have vibrato on this string, but it means if I beat the string really hard, it doesn't. It's really uncanny to, to hear yeah. that. I mean, I don't know if we can just. Yeah, sure. Like. I mean, there's a little bit of that tone, like, oh, but it's not, you know, without the Evergen yeah. system, you'd hear a real pitch difference, wouldn't you, yeah. in that initial attack and, and the way the note then rings out. And uh, I, I don't. I just don't like um, uh, baritone scale. I, I prefer, I'm not the tallest guy, so I like a shorter scale and my hands aren't that big. So yeah, I just like a standard scale guitar and the Evertune honestly compensates for yeah. any issues with tuning this low. Have you, you've still got guitars, well you must have obviously, yeah. a load of guitars that are either a Floyd or a traditional hard yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, a mix. You, you were saying, Tonally speaking, you think there's a, a difference between... Um... Yeah, I can't really put my finger on it. It feels like there's more low end on on this. On the Evertune. Yeah, I... Interesting. I, I I need to sort of like AB with a guitar that's got like the same pickups yeah. and everything. And at the moment I've got, uh, well, it's actually Tom's old E2 and it's got the Kill Switch Fishman's in it, mm-hmm. which sound different. So it's like there's yeah. no use me trying to... AB, AB yeah, between them. that. Um, but yeah, no, it does. But I... Honestly, it, I, I can't say if that's a, a good or a bad thing. It, it feels a bit different to me, but 
for the for all the tuning and stuff and it's just all these big chords we play it's great to just be in tune all yeah. the way up the neck and just yeah. kind of trying to sort of pioneer might be too strong a word but you know really trying to approach songwriting in a you know without just playing you know four chord yeah how do you do you, do you take influences from other bands or yeah. is it is it and well if you do then so who, who are the other bands that you really I mean, take influence from it's more sort of taking influence from just completely different genres right like you know we'll listen to um you know pop music even uh not not like oh we need to listen to pop music to get ideas but Mm. like we just naturally will listen to um i don't know i can't think of anything off the top of my head but i mean i like like even 80s pop like kate bush and stuff um or like i just appreciate like well-written songs is is that about Perhaps trying to bring the structure of a traditional pop song, you know that, Sometimes, that sort of yeah. hook and this concept of like a hook, you know, verse chorus type thing. But not within... always. I feel like there there are sort of architect songs that I thought before I was in the band that were like felt really cohesive and like well structured, and they are well structured. But there'll be like the first verse, a chorus, and then the second verse is like completely different. And I never even like twig that, but mm. just making sure that it all feels cohesive and that kind of thing. I think the the focus is always, and always for me in any music is just like the melody and like good choruses. Mm. Or in Silosis, if it wasn't necessarily like a chorus, it would be like a big epic melodic section. Yeah. That's always like my focus. So like I always used to just I can play a bit of piano, and what I found really helpful is going and sitting at my parents' piano. And just sort of blindly playing around because it's you feel more inspired because when you pick up a guitar you're like I'm used to seeing these frets I yeah. know that if I go eight five open it's the generic sort of metal yeah. chord progression that everyone uses in their choruses and stuff and just feeling stuff out and trying to find really good chord progressions and melodies and even now and then like you'd find that you're just falling into the same patterns on the piano because it really yeah. just pulls you there but at least you've approached it with a different yeah. mindset so stuff like that. I found really helpful for songwriting, and um, I'm not, I'd be yeah. lying if I said I wasn't any sort of an expert in this genre. But but certainly, um, in the interview I did with Misha Mansur two or three years ago, it was interesting that his drumming background heavily influenced yeah. uh, the way he approached uh, the, the the sort of structure, not the structure songs, the riffs, I suppose. Yeah, no, the structure. For sure. do, do you get the same with that? Yeah. Is that like? Well, to, to be honest, like I used to play drums a bit. I even bought my own double pedals just because I loved. Like I used to like just do this under my tables in school, <laughs> like playing Slipknot songs in my head. And I just bought pedals that when I went to college, I could just go and play the drum kit in the music room whenever I wanted. So like, I, I'm not. I can't play drums anymore. 
but um, I'm I pay attention to drummers at least growing up yeah. more than guitarists because I sound quite arrogant I got to a point on guitar where I sort of could hear something but I know what they're doing mm. so like drumming was a bit more interesting because it was um, you know I, I wasn't a drummer so I really liked watching like videos of bands in the studio and just watching like maybe they'd share a clip of the drummer tracking but you couldn't hear the music Right. so watching the drummer like do cool stuff or do cool accents or little cymbal chokes and stuff in weird places was always like oh I could put this sort of riff to that so I get inspired by drums yeah. in maybe not the same way as Misha but yeah, yeah. That's true. Anyway, massive shoehorn yeah. away from where we were talking about gear. Yes. Um, are you a big pedal guy? I mean, if we came to a architect's uh, gig, would there be like a door-sized pedal board on the floor, or, or are you quite a sort of a minimalistic? Yeah, I am a Kemper guy now, ah. and well, that's okay. You can yeah. still have pedals with Kempers. Or, there's or, no point. No, it's just literally <laughs> no, for me. USB but... stick. Yeah, pretty much. It's. I mean, we're at the stage now where we're having to get a whole B rig because they'll have stuff flying to one festival and we need to go somewhere else and we can't yeah. get it all there in time. And just for the amount of flying, and sometimes we just fly in for festivals and weekends and then come home mm -hmm. back to the UK if we're out in Europe. So flying with a Kemper is so much easier. Yeah. And all the songs, all the delays and everything will be to the tempo. And I know you can program in the Strymons to do that mm -hmm. sort of stuff, but it's just so convenient just so, having it all. So you're, tempo. you're using all the effects and everything. Yeah. And are you, are you just um, doing all the changes via a, a MIDI track? Or no, you, no, you've I, got I a board, have changes, you? changes, yeah. We do play to a click, but um, we do our own changes, even though we don't need to. <laughs> Probably think, <laughs> look into doing that. But, um, yeah, I, I just... I, what was that change then? So, I mean, I know Kemper's been around forever, but yeah. you know, it seems in the last three or four years it's really sort of reached, you know, yeah, crazy kind of, proportions. I can, you know, it's kind of a shame because it's interesting like, when, you know, everyone's got different rigs. Yeah. But uh, it's just really good. I, I was playing, like, modded Marshalls for years, a guy called uh, Dan Gower in Essex who um, works on some of my amps. And I'm so into, like, production and tone and stuff that I just wanted to have more control over my tone mm -hmm. at front of house so like I make all my own profiles and um, I'll A-B them with like I spent ages like a in my tone with like an album tone that I really like mm -hmm. and profile that and I want to get it so that the sound guy literally just has to go like that with the volume which isn't always the case it depends on the room that you're playing but um, so for me it was just like yeah in 2015 I bought it from Anderton's actually so yeah, I actually got it's the a, only reason we invited I got, you on. <laughs> I just remember that. I got a note from someone who was working here just saying, uh, love Dorman Hart, which was the last yeah. solo album. Uh, something nice like that. And I was like, oh, oh that's nice. So yeah, I... Yeah, I um, well done, whoever you were in Anderton's yeah. telesales. So uh, yeah, I, I just think that they're just great. If, you, if you're like really into your tone and stuff like that, it's just nice to knowing that... Because if you're at a festival... Mm -hmm. If you're, if, especially if you turn up and you haven't got enough time to set up, if you're front of house guys there, the stagehands will be putting the mics on the cabs and like a mic millimetres makes a huge difference. All that kind of stuff. For me, I'd be like, I want yeah. my guitar to sound no, really I, good. So the, the Kemper just removes. I, I think Kemper that. Live or whatever your um, modeler of choice is, you know, Kemper or Fractal yeah. or the Helix or whatever it is. I totally get that. Yeah. A 100% get that. Um, and particularly the practicality of flying and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when you're in writing mood and in the studio, I would say a lot of 
guitar players that I know that choose to, to play live using that rig will still go for a, a much more traditional rig in the studio, often just because it's so much more tactile just to very quickly hear different sounds. But Yeah, I you, mean, kind of. We, we sort of track the album backwards. So, like, I tracked the rhythms before we went into the studio using the Kemper mm-hmm. just in my bedroom. <laughs> um, so, in that sense... So I, I tracked the guitars, tracked the eyes... And then we would later reamp in the studio mm-hmm. with uh, Nolly Getgood, who was yep. was the bass player in Periphery. Yep. Um, and yeah, so when we were in the studio, yeah, it was fun to like play around with amps and cabs and like get the tone. But we had already all the guitars had been tracked before right. that. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I love messing around with amps and stuff. And like, I'll send him, me and him, nerd out on Git all the time. Like I sent him a video the other day of I was playing with a rectifier, and I've always found them. I just can't get them quite how I want them to. And I just started using a, a Boss EQ in the loop. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is it. This sounds amazing. So I'd be like, check this out, send him videos. So like me and him nerd out on gear. So we, we do still get to play yeah. with real amps and have fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, and whilst you were using your uh, modded Marshall stuff, uh, you know, were there any pedals that you kind of fell in love with at that time? And we, we've obviously on the floor, you, you've asked for a relatively simple setup today. We've just got a... <laughs> Super Kraken amplifier, a bit of delay and reverb in the loop, and a tube screamer that we haven't turned on. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it for me back in the day. I'd always, I bought like an OD808 mm-hmm. around 2004. Um, and I think I remember reading an interview with like Kill Switch Engage saying that it's just have it on all the time for your rhythm sound, and it's just like going to tighten up the low end. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. So I got one and made a huge difference. It's so subtle, mm-hmm. but at the same time, if you're like really into rhythm playing and gear and stuff it'll make enough of a difference yeah. that you're like oh, this, I see why everyone uses these I, I, know, I know when we did the yeah. original demo uh, video of uh, the precision drive which is it's that vibe yeah. isn't it and we just we just like is this even working it's like that you know but you p- give it to the right guitar player and like you say it's a relatively subtle but kind yeah. of once you've heard it you don't want to ever not have it especially if you're if you're like really used to just being in the high gain world all the time which I pretty much always am Um, stuff like that like the I've got precision drive as well and the difference it can be on that really noticeable because it's got like a lot of cool features but um, actually me and Adam are designing a pedal are you I don't know if I think we can talk about it. a company <laughs> called Fortin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Fortin. Yeah, he's he's like he's like the king of all the high gain yeah, stuff. Boutique, at the moment, isn't he? Well, yeah. yeah we're we're trying to come up with uh, a boost again, but um, we'd reinvent the wheel. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but we and me and Adam were like, we really want to just be able to like have more control over like a, a tube screamer. Usually, will give you some sort of mid range emphasis. We want to be able to like hone in or move that around depending on the amp you're playing and bit, just a bit more control over the EQ side of things like for certain amps like um, a rectifier a bit more flubby you mm-hmm. want a little less low end and stuff like that and just the tone knob and like your generic kind of pedal isn't enough so like we want to just well you need to get yeah. permission from the band because of course the pedal name would have to be the tonal architect wouldn't it just saying yeah that's a good saying. one yeah yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, look, it's really, really cool to meet you. you I love listening to you playing. I mean, it's, uh, it's technically it's 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 phenomenally 
you know clever what you're playing and stuff like that. and it sounds cool as well we're really low volume in here it's nice to kind of hear some of that vibe and a relatively simple setup so good luck with everything thank you very much um, and i'm excited to hear who this unknown band at the unknown festival with the unknown bucket list thing yeah. happens ends up being <laughs> cool. um but yeah so if you want to find out more about uh josh and his band then was it www.architects Official.com. Official. Uh, you might, if you've done the research more recently. No, no I'm just trying, you're right. I'm telling you, because if you just type architect into Google, you'll probably get it's somebody no, to build an extension on your house. At architects on Instagram, that's the main one, isn't it? Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. It's where all the kids are these days. Yeah. That's why I don't know anything about it. Right. <laughs> anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, please like and subscribe if you want to see more. And we shall see you on another episode of Anderson's TV sometime soon, probably tomorrow. Anyway, see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to our latest podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit that subscribe button. See you next time.